So good to be with you guys today. I wanna give you five reasons you should talk to God more often. Five reasons that you should talk to God more for week three of this series starter pack. And that's basically the most simple definition of what prayer is, talking to God. And today, I'm not gonna really get into the nitty gritty of here's how you be disciplined and here's kind of the template and here's what you should do to go talk to God because that is, a lot of that's in the starter pack Devo. What I wanna do today is I've been praying that you'd walk out of here just so challenged and encouraged with a fresh wind and a new passion and excitement to go talk to God because honestly, talking to God should be one of the most fun and life-giving parts of all of our lives. Five reasons you should talk to God more, why it's easier than you think, why it might be everything that your soul is looking for, and why it might change your life. Does that sound good? Okay, and I want to do that by looking at the life of King David. Y'all know who King David is? Okay, well, that wasn't so convincing, so I'm just going to I'm gonna give you a snapshot as fast as I can and fast forward of the life of King David. I am on the clock and I'm long-winded to begin with and so I'm gonna do this as fast as I can. No need to take notes, just kind of lean in, okay? So once upon a time, a long time ago in a hill country region called Bethlehem, not too, too far away, about a thousand years before Jesus, there was another young man by the name of David and David was the youngest of all of his brothers. He was sort of the runt of the family, basically a Kevin McAllister type, if you will, and on any given afternoon, you'd find shepherds boy David out in the pastures, tending to his father's sheep, talking to God all day and all night, practicing his little slingshot, probably journaling in his color-coordinated diary, probably crying a lot and strumming on his harp, just basically an OG Ryan Weckenman type, you know what I mean? And so one day, David kills a bear, and then about a week later, David kills a lion, and the reason he does that is just to protect and save one little dumb lamb, and this is foreshadowing to a thousand years later where Jesus would say, I left the 99 for the one, and so David rescues this little sheep and picks it up and goes, little dumb sheep, I am your shepherd and the Lord is mine, and the sheep goes, bah. And around that time, David gets anointed to be the future king of Israel, the legend himself, Samuel, the prophet Samuel from First and Second Samuel. That Samuel shows up to David's house and says, guess what, little buddy? You're gonna be the future king of Israel. And David goes, oh, awesome. I just can't wait to be king. When is this happening? Like this afternoon? Is this a tomorrow thing? I, I have a free schedule. I'm pretty open. I just gotta go let my sheep know. And Samuel goes, pump the brakes, pal. I'm talking about 15 years from now. And by the way, it's gonna be a pretty rough go for the next 15 years, but the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. All you have to do is just never stop talking to him. And so David goes back to the pastures. And around this time, the Israelites, God's people and God's chosen army, they go to battle, they go to war against the Philistines, AKA the bad guys. And every day at this valley, this battlefield valley, the Israelites army would, would line up over here and the Philistines would line up over here, kind of like an eighth grade awkward dance where you've got the boys over here and the girls over here and nobody in the middle except for one Philistine soldier slash giant by the name of Goliath who was about nine foot three and 400 pounds of solid muscle. And he was a jerk, man. I mean, Goliath was just an astronomical jerk. You know what I mean? And he would just, he would mock and belittle the God of the Israelites and taunt the soldiers and say, and say stuff like, one of you losers, get down here and fight me. We'll see how strong your God really is. But they were all too afraid to do it. And I, I don't blame them, including, by the way, Saul, the current king and all of David's older brothers who were in the army. 
around this time, David's kind of been promoted. He's a part-time shepherd boy, but he's also a part-time water boy for the Israelite army. And one afternoon, he shows up with some ice-cold G2 sugar-free Gatorade to replenish all the troops, even though they don't really need it because none of them are doing anything anyways. And David shows up and just happens to overhear Goliath mocking and belittling his God. And David goes, hold the phone. Like, we're just letting this happen. Nobody's gonna go shut that guy up. And all the soldiers go, well, look at him. None of us are going, you go. And David goes, yeah, I'll go. And I, I killed a bear, I killed a lion, and I will kill, this is, this is um, ancient Hebrew trash talk, I will kill this uncircumcised Philistine in the exact same way. And so David heads down into the valley. And what does he do in the valley? He starts talking to God, okay? He also starts trash talking Goliath. And Goliath has to just feel from his perspective sort of like, Player, please, like, who is this five foot nothing, hundred and nothing, red hair Hebrew boy? Like, what, is this real life? Is this really happening? Is that a smooth stone hurling towards my forehead at a thousand miles an hour? Honey, take a picture, I'm dead. And that's David and Goliath from Goliath's perspective, courtesy of Will Ferrell's character from The Wedding Crashers. For a select group of you, I dedicate that joke to you. And so David... David kills Goliath, and he's now a legend, the giant killer. And he gets promoted in Saul's palace. He now becomes the head musician. And David, guess what he does in Saul's palace the whole time he's there? You guessed it. He just talks to God. And because he talks to God, he has favor with God. And because he has favor with God, he gets favor with man. And he gets promoted more and more. And people like him. And Saul actually starts to get jealous of David because people like David more than they like Saul. And it drove Saul mad until one day Saul actually tried to kill David, forcing David to run for his life and flee. And David spends years as a fugitive on the run, hiding out in caves. And guess what he does in those caves? You guessed it, he just talks to God the entire time until one day Saul finally dies and David finally becomes the king of Israel just like Samuel from First and Second Samuel said he would all of those years ago and David is a great king, man. He's doing the things, he's shaking hands and kissing babies and taking names and kicking astronomical Philistine booty, you know what I mean? He's just, he's crushing it and the whole time he's leading, he's talking to God and in case you're, you're thinking, well, this guy sounds perfect, this isn't relatable. David was the most relatable person in scripture, which is why I love him. He was about as flawed. He, he failed so many times. In fact, there's one story while David is king, and this is the man after God's own heart. David is walking around on the rooftop of his palace, and he sees a woman by the name of Bathsheba taking a bath on the rooftop of her house, and David sends for her, even though she's married to another man, and ends up sleeping with her, okay? So this is bad. This is on David. This is 100% David's fault, but I will also say I think Bathsheba is the original desperate housewife because who takes a bath on a roof, okay? That's my question. So David messes up, okay? And David's an adulterer. David murders the wrong people. He fails and falters and fails and falters time and time again. But guess what he does, even in seasons of failing and faltering? He just talks to God, which is why he is living proof that you have not gone too far. You are not too far gone to be loved or used by God. We mean it at Red Rocks when we say imperfect people pursuing the perfect God. You still got breath in your lungs. It means God's not done with you yet. And if you think otherwise, David in his life is proof that you're wrong. He repents well. He does his twilight season of his life well. He steps down from the throne well. He even dies well. And David is the poster boy for what it looks like in any and every situation, whether you're a king in a palace or a shepherd boy out in the pastures or you're down in the valley of the shadow of death about to face it off with Goliath. He is the poster boy for what it looks like to never stop talking to God. Amen. That's David. One more thing 
that you should know about David. He was more content, more passionate, more confident and secure than me, than you. And the reason is because he talked to God more than me and you. I'm coming for you today. This has been kicking my butt all week and now it's just your turn, okay? Five reasons you should talk to God more often from the life of David. Are you ready? Okay, reason number one. I think you're gonna like this. Prayer powers your faith. Because prayer powers your faith. So by show of phones, how many of you have one of these? And I will accept androids, although I'm praying for you and I forgive you for ruining all of our group chats with your green bubbles, I forgive you. But I'll accept it, just a smartphone in general. I know I just caused division, but can we unify around the fact that smartphones are just absolutely incredible devices? I mean, how stupid crazy is it that we have something like this? The amount of things these phones know how to do, right? Like right now, I could just FaceTime anybody on the planet. Right now, I just talk to them face-to-face, -face, anybody on the planet. This thing has a, uh, has a level machine. I just figured that out when I was hanging a TV this week, right? It takes like Hollywood-grade photo and video. Um, I could record a, a selfie of all of us and post it later online for anybody in the world to see if I wanted to. I would never do that. This is the Lord's house. It's not the time or place, you guys. Um, there is, let's see, last week I was golfing, and I downloaded this free golf course app that just automatically synced to my Apple Watch without me asking it to, and it told me the exact distance from the pin every step that I took on the golf course. Not the green, the pin. And this wasn't Pebble Beach, okay? This was a $20 municipal course in North Austin, and it told me the exact yardage, okay? I'm thinking, this is, this is so ridiculous. And, and by the way, if anybody does have a connection to Pebble Beach, DM me, that's another amazing function that these phones have. And it doesn't have to be Pebble Beach, Spyglass, any golf course in Monterey, I'm not picky, just DM me, okay? Here's my point, and I promise you I have one. This won't work if you don't charge it. As amazing as it is, and it is amazing, it is absolutely powerless without a source. So follow the metaphor here. This phone is your faith, this would be the source of power, so God. And then your charger is prayer. Your charger would be what connects your faith, the promises of God on your life, the calling on your life, everything about you, mind, body, spirit, your soul connects it to the source. This is David in Psalm 86.3. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you. Translation, I need my source. I'm nothing without you without my power, all day long. Jesus said something similar, similar to this in John 15, did he not? I am the vine and you are the branches. And so whatever you do, I, I can boil down the whole walk of faith in one word right here, remain. Remain in me. And as you do that, I will remain in you. In fact, if you don't remain in me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. With me, you can do absolutely nothing. Anything. If, if Hebrews 12 is right, which likens your, your life to a race, then prayer would be your hydration, essentially. And much like prayer hydrates your race, prayer powers the promises of God. 
So there is, follow the metaphor here, but there is a new covenant package that is available to you in Christ Jesus. The era we live in, the New Testament, new covenant era that you and I live in, the new covenant package that is available to you, and I'm not just talking about heaven forever, that's, that's where it starts, is heaven forever. I hope you know that. But then even beyond that, the 7,000 plus promises in scripture from God to you for your everyday life, I'm talking about the entire new covenant package, buying a new iPhone um, and basically, I mean, just, here, here's, here's the metaphor. Getting a new covenant package, which is what you have in Jesus and using it only for heaven forever one day is basically like getting the new iPhone and only using it to make phone calls when there is so much more that is available to you and prayer is what powers it. Prayer is the source that unlocks and unleashes the promises of God in your life and over your life. And I bet you anything, you charge your phone more than one hour every Sunday, right? You ever forget to plug this in at night? It's just the worst. What's the first thing you say when you get to a friend's house? Hey dude, do you have a phone charger? You ever travel and forget this? Can you say panic attack, right? That's why you'll drop $50 at the airport for a new charger. Or you forget your charger even though you've got seven in your nightstand at home. <laughs> Just so you don't have to have a two hour flight with a dead phone, right? Or even a phone that's in the red. How stressful is that when your phone is in the red on its battery all day long? And so here, here's my question, let me ask you this. We charge our phones all the time. How much battery does your soul have? And does anybody besides me feel like recently your faith, the battery of your faith, whatever you wanna call it, has been in the, the sub 20% red zone for a while now? See, this is the Verizon package. They're not even sponsoring us, and I'll plug it because it's amazing, but it is nothing compared to the new covenant package that is yours through Christ Jesus, the 7,000 plus promises from God to you beyond just heaven forever one day. That's the tip of the iceberg. I'm talking, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You have unexplainable peace and joy and contentment just available to you to tap into at any moment. Prayer is what powers that. You have a new covenant package with 7,000 apps or promises, if you will. And prayer is your source to turn those things on in your life. I wonder how many people's faith just kind of shut down eventually. And they walked away from Christianity all because they learned a lot, but they stopped talking to God a long time ago. I wonder how many marriages end in divorce because two people continue cohabitating, but they stopped talking a long time ago. I mean, you know, you, you know the divorce rate. It's a, a coin flip. Do you know the divorce rate of two people who go to church with each other a couple times a month? It's a coin flip. The divorce rate of two people who pray together every single day, one in 1,152. Did you hear that? One in 1,152. And in case you heard that and you were super intimidated, well, I, every single day, like, I don't have the time. I don't, that sounds so intimidating. I thought the same thing until I met Will Davis. He's a pastor at Austin Christian Fellowship, and him and his wife pray every single morning, and they have for years. You wanna talk about the compound interest that starts adding up over time, and in case you're, you, you probably thought I was gonna say they pray for 30 minutes a day, 30 seconds a day, 30 seconds like there's no religion attached to prayer. This is relationship. 
I'm like, when did we put time requirements on prayer that, that are just like this, this invisible requirements all of us feel that keep us from just talking to our dad? Like, when did that happen? 30 seconds every single morning. You wanna hear what the majority of my prayers sound like these days and how long they are? God, help! Amen. I prayed that right there before I walked up on stage. God, help Ethan! Amen. Then I text Ethan, hey bro, I've been praying for you. I do. (laughs) God, I'm anxious, will you just sit with me? Hey God, thank you for that. Oh, I'm driving. Oh, Jesus, take the wheel. Do not do that literally, unless you have a Tesla. Why do we pray? Because prayer powers our faith, amen? We could talk about that all day, but we do have four more reasons that you should talk to God more. So here we go. Number two, because prayer quiets your heart. Psalm 131, one, God, this is David. God, I am not trying to rule the roost. This is while while he is king. I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't wanna be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I have kept my feet on the ground and I have cultivated a quiet heart. A quiet heart is calm and confident. I don't know about you. That sounds so attractive to me. Calm and confident. And in a lot of ways, David was a, uh, he was a man before his time. And so he did not have infinity in his back pocket like all of us do. But David was a celebrity. He was a legend. And I don't just say that flippantly like we do. Like, if you met Dave, Dave's, Dave's a legend, man. No, I mean like a literal legend, David the giant killer. David the anointed one. David the king of Israel. And because of that, David had access He had access to all the information in the known world, just like you do today. He had everything available to him, and yet David seemed to limit his intake. So let me quote him again. I'm not trying to be king of the mountain. I'm not meddling where I have no business. I'll quote the ESV version of it. I'm not concerning myself with thoughts and plans and information that is too lofty for me or above my pay grade. Translation, I'm not God and I don't think I am. And now you might say, well, I don't think I'm God, but to an extent for you and me, I would beg to differ to an extent because you're human and the human condition going all the way back to the garden is a temptation called, I could be God of my life. I can decide for me what's right and wrong. I could, I could know everything. And because of that, I think a lot of us have something I wanna call omniscience fatigue. And I use that hyperbole style omniscience fatigue, why? Because we know absolutely everything about everything. Horrible things happen in this world, you know about it within the hour. So that disaster over there, this tragedy right here, everybody's opinions and takes on it, this drama over there, this drama right here, but David, and the temptation I guess, in the name of nobility, let's be honest, is to carry it all. In fact, the court of public opinion kinda demands you do. Social media, I mean, try being a pastor in 2021, something horrible happens in the world and you spend 30 minutes in a closet praying for it, but you don't post anything on social media, watch the DMs you get. It's like there's a a demand to, you better carry the world. 
And I don't, I don't think it's just a pastor thing. I think it's a human, I think it's a people thing. This omniscience fatigue, but David was king and David, I think, knew better than anybody. I was never asked to do that or designed to do that. And I gotta give a shout out to a pastor named Judah Smith because I have learned so much, especially recently from him, about praying with no religion attached to it because that stuff will stick. It really sticks to me. I gotta do it at this time every day, in this way, for this amount of, this length every day. But do you ever feel like you just kind of are holding this or this is even in your pocket and your soul is so exhausted and just kind of starts singing, I've got the whole world in my hand. I've got the whole world in my hand. I've got the whole world in my hand. Because it sure feels like I've got the whole world in my hand. And I'm making this point because I take issue with the fact that Christians are just as afraid and anxious as the rest of the world. Prayer is how you go from thinking you're supposed to or that you can carry it all or even close to that to offloading and letting God actually do it. Letting God actually be the one who can do it. And so follow this metaphor here. Your soul's desktop space, if you will, is overly cluttered. And prayer is how you click and drag all of it onto an infinite external hard drive that actually has the room to store it. My watch, oh my gosh. That was during a serious part too, of course. Um, if you're following me there, your soul's startup disk is full. I don't know who I'm talking to, but you have way more omniscience fatigue than you would ever care to admit to any of us. Your soul's startup disk is full, and if I could just challenge you, stop, and it's giving you pop-up reminders in the form of anxiety. Stop clicking, remind me tomorrow, and stop worrying and calling that praying. <laughs> Offload it. You have an ear with undivided attention that would love to hear everything that you've been carrying and holding. I'm not concerning myself with thoughts and plans and information that is too lofty for me. Make no mistake, when I find out about things, when prayer requests come my way, when things happen, oh my goodness, I will pray. And make no mistake, I will do everything that I can do. But at the end of the day, man, I just, you kind of need to, to drop to your knees and go, God, I have to, I have to trust that you've got families in Haiti. I have to trust you have got kids in Afghanistan. But at the end of the day, you're the one who's ultimately carrying all the prayer requests at our church. You've got the future of our nation, that you're the one with the whole world in his hands and not me. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. If it's important to you, Man, it's important to God. Prayer has no prereqs. Bring anything and everything to him. Yell at him if you have to. Cry with him if you need to. David sure did, okay? There's no right time to do it. No religion allowed when it comes to praying. I have to fight that temptation all the time of, well, you need to get up at five and do it, pastor. Why? Because Mark 135, Jesus got up before the sun. Well, that was Jesus's thing. He liked that. And by the way, nobody will tell you, he went to bed at seven. <laughs> Staying up after sunset is a new phenomenon post-Thomas Edison, okay? You, you, like, you don't need to 
to get the cadence of that culture and somehow try to squeeze it into your life. You and Jesus, you and God got your own thing. I'm not telling you where to do it or how long to do it or how to, I'm just saying you need to talk to him more because it works. Because one hour of offloading to him will do more for your cluttered heart than a week at the spa. Amen? That's reason number two. We gotta keep going. Reason number three, here we go. Prayer does, wait, no, hold on. Okay, here it is. Prayer creates contentment. Prayer creates contentment. The very next verse in that same Psalm, verse number two, David says this, like a baby content in its mother's arms, my soul is a baby content. So like a weaned child that no longer needs milk, content in its mother's arms, which by the way, is the region where milk is available, and I'm not gonna biologically explain it, explain it any more than that, I'm just quoting scripture, but every time our baby girl Kinsley is hungry, and she's with me, and she sees Sam, she will start crying and reaching for Sam. I'm chopped liver at that point. I don't matter at that point because mama's got what daddy does not, okay? What David is describing is a baby being held by mom where milk is available, and yet it needs nothing. God, I'm with you. I know you have everything that I need. I know you're a good God, and you're a, you're a giver, and you wanna provide for me. You wanna bless me, but I am just so content in your presence. I actually don't need it right now. And that leads me to say this, that proximity, not provision, is the point of prayer. And not that provision isn't important. It's the next reason we'll talk about. But proximity is what made David one of the most content men and women to ever walk the face of this planet, not the provision. Provision's awesome, we need it, and God knows that. But proximity to God will do for your soul what all the provision in the world never could. Makes you content, and the richest person in the world is the most content person, for contentment is the greatest wealth there is. And contentment comes from the giver, not the gifts. As great as the gifts are, contentment is found in the giver because the fruit of the Spirit exists where the giver is. You know the fruits of the Spirit, peace, joy, patience, contentment, kindness, self-control, a sound mind, everything that you're looking for, all the, the things of heaven, all those things that billionaires are trying to buy but they can't, and all the while they are absolutely free and available to you. Speaking of the new covenant package, it's all available to you via prayer right here and right now. After all, the things of heaven are wherever the kingdom of heaven is, and the kingdom of heaven is wherever the king of heaven is, and the king of heaven is no longer in his grave, but he's out of his grave, and he's present with us, which means proximity with him is possible, and that is where true contentment is found. And then provision follows, but right now, just let's just talk proximity just for a second. So a few years ago, my wife and I were on a cruise, and the big um, marketed event, like the grand event, they do events every night, and the big event that was so marketed was a Harry Potter trivia night. And so Sam and I go, well, yeah, we're in, sign us up. And we show up to this ballroom with hundreds of Harry Potter fans, and we're looking around and we see groups of five and groups of 10 and groups of 15, and then it's me and Sam. And not to brag, but we walk in and I'm like, there's not a doubt in my mind we're not winning this. <laughs> and we were right, we crushed everybody. 
And do you wanna know what the grand prize for this grand event was? This massively marketed Harry Potter trivia night. The grand prize was this keychain. I kept it. Thinking, really, Royal Caribbean? Really? I was so mad until I remembered I'm on a cruise with my wife and I love my kids, but they're not here, I'm fine, okay? I got over it very, very quickly and I realized the real, the real win was the experience, not the keychain. And so it's about the process, not always the prize. The process of prayer, aka the pursuit of God, the process of prayer will grow you and change you and do more for contenting and completing your soul than all the provision in the world ever could because it's the process or the pursuit, if you will, that leads to proximity with God and in proximity with God is where contentment is found and contentment is the greatest freedom that there is. Contentment is where your soul can genuinely sing, all I need is you, Jesus, and once you have that kind of contentment, then any provision that follows the proximity is now house money. Why talk to God more? It creates contentment, and that is the greatest wealth that there is. Number four, here we go. We pray because prayer does what we can't. We pray because it does what we can't. We pray because it attracts the God factor into our lives, right? We pray because it works. We pray because, as Mark Batterson would say, when you pray regularly, Irregular things will begin to happen in your life on a regular basis. We pray because prayer does what we can't do. This is 1 Samuel 16, 13. This was the moment that Samuel anointed David to be the future king. Here we go. Samuel took his flask of oil and anointed him with his brother standing around watching and the spirit of God entered David like a rush of wind. God vitally empowering him for the rest of his life. So the anointing of God is the difference between what you can do on your own and what God can do in your life. It is the difference between your power at work and God's power at work within you. This space, this gap is called the God factor. This is called anointing. And by the way, it gets activated by prayer. And this is available to us because of James 4.2 that says you have not because you ask not. You do not have because you did not ask. And that verse is not a trick verse, you guys. It means exactly what it says. Knock and the door will be open to you. Seek him and you will find him if you don't stop seeking him until you find him. You ever lose your keys? When you lose your keys, how do you seek for your keys? Oh well, guess they're gone. No, you call your friends over, you tear apart the house, you look between every couch cushion, you don't stop seeking until you find your keys because until you find your keys, you ain't going anywhere. And my question is, what if you sought God the same way? If you seek him, you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. If you prayed that way, can you imagine the anointing, the God factor that would be opened up and unleashed over your life? Seeking first the kingdom of heaven and the God of the kingdom who, by the way, knows what you need, who clothes the most random lilies of the most random fields in more splendor than all of Solomon's glory, will give you what you need. And you don't think he knows how to spoil his kids a little bit? 
He is the ultimate giver, church, the ultimate blesser, the ultimate provider. James 4, 2 means that you have not because you ask not, which means there will come a point at the end of your life, you look back on your life and there's things that happen and the only reason those things happen is because you asked. There will also be things that never happened and the only reason they never happened is because you never asked. When humans work, we work. When humans pray, God's work, God works. Prayer might just be the difference between a breakdown and a breakthrough. Prayer spans the gap between ordinary and extraordinary. And I'm not here to promise outcomes or mediate the sovereignty of God that is above even the Pope's pay grade. I'm here to tell you you should talk to him more because prayer does what you can't and prayer works, amen? The final reason, number five, and team, you can come up. I've been trying to get right here this whole message. You can be a kid again. So October is here. The latter half of October is here, which means Halloween is upon us, the day all Christians tremble. Do you remember your favorite costume growing up? This was, this was me and Ryan at the ages of four and three. I was a fireman, and, uh, and Ryan was underdog. You remember underdog? <laughs> uh, foreshadowing Ryan? I'm kidding. Ryan, he's awesome. He's, I love him, okay? I love my brother. He's cooler than me, I promise you. Um, <laughs> I love the homemade costumes, my tinfoil badge. My mom would be Dave Ramsey's hero, Okay. Um, my son, Will, this was taken a few days ago. That's his new Captain America costume, and he, can, he won't take it off. He refuses, and I'm all about it, okay? Um, now, here's my point. Um, you can't, that, that kid, you cannot convince him that he's not Cap when he's wearing that uniform. You can't convince Will that he's not Captain America, okay? You couldn't convince me I wasn't a fireman, you couldn't convince Ryan that he wasn't a, uh, a puppy that was also a superhero, okay? When you're a kid, you believe with every fiber of your being that you are something, even though in reality, you're actually not that thing. But then you grow up, you become a grown-up, and all of a sudden you have the hardest time believing you are something that God actually says you are. So you are forgiven. You are chosen. You are called. You just have the hardest time actually believing that could be true for you. You are more than a conqueror. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. There is joy and peace available to you at every single moment. You are who God says you are, not your critics, not what the court of public opinion happens to think. Not what the devil whispers in you, your ear. You are who God says you are. And through prayer, as you become a kid again, what has always been true just becomes more and more realized because in Jesus' kingdom, the height of maturity is actually the heart of a child. I used to get so worked up playing golf. I'd shank a shot and throw my club and cuss. I never do this anymore. And uh, so much so that I would like not go play with my friends because I know it's gonna ruin my day. <laughs> Till a few years ago, I had a revelation from heaven. It was like the clouds opened up and the Holy Spirit descended like a birdie 
I'll excuse myself, it's okay. And um, it's like the heavens parted and man, this was a revelation from heaven. Even on a golf course, I just felt like God impressed onto my heart. Hey, knucklehead, this is one of the very few areas of your life where it actually doesn't matter how well you do or how well you perform. St. Pebble Beach, you're not on the PGA Tour. Calm the heck down and enjoy it. And that took in my spirit. And I have ever since. And wouldn't you know, I've played better ever since. So I've told you how I play better. Now let me tell you how to pray better, okay? You don't have to perform for God. There is no religion allowed when it comes to talking to God. A lot of us avoid it, I think, out of anxiety because we think this is intimidating because I can't, I don't have the right words. I can't do it for the right amount of time. I can't just, and so we just, and, and I guess if, if I'm talking to you and I'm talking to myself too, I'll say, I'll say the same thing to you. Calm the heck down and enjoy talking to God. Calm the heck down with religion. This is supposed to be one of the most enjoyable parts of your life. Getting to be a kid and talk to God. Enjoy it. You do not have to perform for him. Once upon a time you did, that day is no longer here. We live in the new covenant, a new era called grace. And so that leads me to the question, if you were at worship night, you heard me ask this, but this has been wrecking me all month and I wanna take it a step further today. What is God's facial expression towards you right now? In your imagination, is he mad at you? Like you should be farther along than you are, embarrassed by you or kind of just disappointed? Like, come on, why are you this way? You should struggle less with that. We should be... We should be doing bigger and better things. Is it the face of a manager or a boss that goes, come on, produce, produce, let's go. You only get one life. Make every moment count. Heaven and hell, not a game, let's go. Like what is God's facial expression towards you? And by any chance, is it predicated upon your performance this week? Because back in David's day, it actually was predicated on, on, on your performance because of something called the sin problem. It had not been fully dealt with yet by Jesus. And so David actually could not look into the face of God, even though he talked to him all the time, could not look full on into the glory and face of his heavenly father. Same with Moses. That's why Moses had to hide out in a cleft of a rock and just watch the backside of God as God passed by. Because if he stared at his face, he would drop dead because back then there was a sin problem and humans related to God based on religion and do's and don'ts and performance. That is no longer our era, you guys. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus did not stay dead. And in his tomb, his buried body began to breathe and the heavens began to roar and the ground began to shake as the sin problem was dealt with forever. And the presence of God that once upon a time used to be hidden and concealed behind a veil that veil was permanently torn in two, which means the presence of God is alive and at work. It's here in this room. It lives within you. And in that moment, God permanently turned to face humanity once again, which means the countenance or facial expression on your father's face looks straight at you with acceptance and approval and a smile because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus and he is completely satisfied in Jesus, which means he says the same thing to you as he quotes to Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 when he says this is my son and this is my daughter and then try to say this with a frown 
and I am well pleased with you. I am well pleased with you. That's your father that wants to talk to you. What is his facial expression in your imagination? Because it's my belief that answer will determine how often you talk to him. It's a story, I think Matthew chapter nine, um, the woman who had the issue of the bleeding for years and years and years um, sets out to find Jesus for healing. She hears rumors about him and maybe this is the son of God, the Messiah, he could heal me. And she finds Jesus and Jesus is with Jairus, a man named Jairus, and those two are on their way to Jairus's house because Jesus is gonna heal Jairus's daughter. And as they're walking by, this woman sneaks up from behind Jesus and grabs his robe with one hand. And in that moment, receives divine healing. But that's not the best part of the story. I want you to picture this. They are on their way, and then Jesus feels power leave him to heal this woman that he so deeply loves. A woman who, by the way, according to the Mosaic law, should be isolated and excommunicated. She is a lawbreaker. And yet Jesus feels power leave. And I love this so much. I heard Judah say this a decade ago and it floored me and changed my faith forever. That Jesus not wanting this woman to just only receive a blessing from his back turns around. Unlike what God did with Moses in the cleft of the rock, Jesus, it's a new day and a new era, turns around face to face with this woman who should be isolated and excommunicated, gets down to her level on one knee and once again, tries saying this with a frown. Woman, be of good cheer. Your faith has healed you. And I promise you, she told that story thousands of times. Here's my guess. Her healing was a footnote in a story about being face to face with God and his smile and his acceptance and approval and love for her. The face of God is the glory of Jesus. There's another story about Mary at Bethany, and this has to do with the song that we're about to stand and worship and proclaim. Um, this was a, um, a few days before Jesus' crucifixion. And Jesus is in a house full of a bunch of men, and then there's Mary Magdalene. And it was a different day back then. And Mary walks in with a jar of perfume of anointing oil that was worth a year's wages. And she's just sitting in front of Jesus and staring full onto his face. And she breaks the jar and pours this oil, this incense, this perfume, this fragrance all over the feet of Jesus. And it's just worshiping and crying. And this is her response to just looking into his face. And regardless of what her critics in the court of public opinion said, she just wanted that proximity with him. And a lot of scholars believe that a few weeks later, as Jesus was carrying his cross up that hill to be crucified, you could still smell the fragrance on him. This offering, this offering is what you can't help but do when you know God's countenance towards you. You know what I mean when I say countenance? I'm talking about the unconditional agape love in his eyes directed straight at you, the smile on his face for how much joy you bring him because him making you in the first place was not about him needing you, but about him wanting you. 
staring at you with the prideful beam of the father of all fathers. This is the countenance of God. And when you see his face, you just can't help but bring a new offering. Except Jesus is not after substance in a jar, but rather our lives. This is Romans 12. Offer your bodies, everything you are, as a living sacrifice. Whatever I got, Jesus, it's yours. Because God, I know the facial expression that you have towards me, and I just can't help it anymore. So as we sing this song, I want to challenge all of us to get our eyes off of God's hands, which represent what he can do for us, and get our focus onto the face of God, which represents who he is is to us because as much as we need what his hands can do for us as much as we need provision i'm telling you what your soul is so after is the face of god provision as long as you always stare at the hands of god you will forever be a grown-up in need but when you can learn to stare into the face of jesus you become a kid again who lacks nothing and then all provision becomes house money and as you stare into his face, you just can't help but bring everything that you got. Jesus, here, here's my offering. Can you bring a new offering this year? He's not after last year's incense. What's another area of your life you can just lay down and let Jesus in because he's knocking? Or Jesus, I wanna, I wanna offer this part to you. I wanna offer this hidden sin to you this time. I wanna go get prayer with a prayer team person that's in one of these back corners as we sing this song. I, I wanna raise my hands for the very first time. I've been praying that fathers today would lift their hands to heaven in plain sight of their children and wives as the ultimate sign of strength, AKA surrender. I've been praying that friends would drop to their knees in front of the presence of God in plain sight of other friends they used to care about their opinion until I saw the countenance of God. If you wanna, if you wanna move to a, a side of the room, if you wanna go to the back, if you wanna stay seated or stand or come to the front, whatever it is, my challenge for you is what would the kid in you do in front of his dad or her dad? Prayer makes you a kid again, church. The spirit is here. I wanna be the offering. I wanna be the sacrifice. I wanna be the oil. This is my natural response to the approval and acceptance of my heavenly father, amen. Guys, will you stand to your feet? I wanna pray for you. And then we're just gonna go into worship. And this time is yours. This room, by the way, is yours. And if you prefer just to, if you wanna stay where you are, that is so fine. But if you wanna move around, Drop to your knees, lift your hands. Maybe you've never done that unless Emily asks and maybe it's your time to go from here just to like the Frisbees right here. What's a new offering, a new sacrifice? Bring something new and God will do something new. So Jesus, we love you so much and I'm so grateful for this church family. I'm so grateful for what you've been doing in this, in this church body and we, God, this is, I can't, I can't paint a picture of your face with words. And so Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would supernaturally just download revelation into the hearts and minds of everybody in this room, God. Would they know what you think about them today? Would they see the smile that you have for them today? Regardless of what we need, would we do everything we can to shift our focus onto your face and just stare into the goodness that is our God? We trust you with our lives. Today we just say what David said, we are not you, nor are we trying to be, nor do we want to be. Whatever you wanna do in our lives, you do. Like Mary, we're just gonna sit at your feet 
stare into your face and offer you everything that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.